Thank you so much for joining our Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. It's 2022. We have so many exciting events, gatherings, and opportunities for you around Generations Church. If you'd like to learn more about these opportunities, these events, these gatherings, head over to mygenerations.church to check them out. So what does it mean to be spiritual? How does followership of Jesus look in an era of postmodernism and deconstruction? We're getting back into our series on 1 Corinthians called Masterclass, where the Apostle Paul will help us navigate our cultural moment. Let's respond to the scripture and spirit together. Continuing in our series on Masterclass, and today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So if you want to pull up a Bible, pull out your phone, you can follow along on the screen with me. And this is what, we, what it says starting in verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and above all, and above, <laughs> and above all that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God. Since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who's, who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interrupts so that the church may be built up. Will you pray with me? Father, I am always grateful when we get to come and gather. And God, I hear laughter. I hear conversation. I just see smiles and joy in a room as, God, we get to gather as your family. God, despite uh, everything that happens and that goes into this, God, we know that you are at work. You are at work in the conversations, in the songs that we sing, in the just laughter that we have over a coffee and people sharing their stories. God, I, I'm always in awe of how you bring together different people from different stories, different backgrounds. And God, we are able to gather and worship you because of Jesus. It's Jesus that unites us. And Father, as we gather this morning, allow us to hear and see you through words that are spoken, conversations, had songs that are sung so that, God, we can respond to your love and grace that you have for us. Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I ended up with two coffee cups. Man, this will be, of course. I don't know. We'll share. The, There we go. Okay, there we go. Man, see, we're, we're, we're sharing all kinds of things today. We're sharing stories. We're sharing drinks. Some of you are like, what kind of church did I get myself into today? Well, welcome. Welcome back to Masterclass. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians over the last several months. And what Paul is doing is he's writing to a church that has a lot of issues and problems and what he wants them to know, and he wants them to actually not just know, but, but become. He wants them to become what, in fact, they are in Christ. He wants them to be God's alternative in Corinth to Corinth. Meaning, 
He wants them to be that restored humanity, to, to live the way of Jesus in every area of life. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking through all kinds of issues that Paul has been writing to the, about the church, the things that he sees, the thing that he identifies and goes, hey, you guys are off here in applying the way of Jesus. And where we find ourselves in this section of 1 Corinthians is this section on the gathering and gifting of the church. In this section, Paul addresses a source of their pride and how, are, and how they are failing to be God's alternative to Corinth in Corinth. And today's passage is actually relatively straightforward. However, as we begin this morning, we need to understand two types of issues. There are close-handed issues, and there are open-handed issues. Close-handed issues are considered essential beliefs to be a Christian. Those are ones that, that have a bearing on salvation. The other is the open-handed issues. They are less clear, likely to have been debated, are not necessarily to have a certain belief for salvation or life in Christ. For example, a close-handed issue is that Jesus came in flesh, died, and rose again, and is coming back someday. You must hold that to be true, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. That God has come to rescue and renew all humanity through the person and work of Jesus. That's considered close-handed or primary. Now to our topic today. Speaking in tongues. This falls into a latter category. Something that we would consider open-handed. Something that we would consider you could have multiple different views on and still be considered a Christian. It's one that we can debate, that we can discuss, that we can have different perspectives, but yet it has little bearing on how we follow Jesus together. And we here at Generations, let me be very crystal clear, we have people who think differently on this precise issue within our church. We don't prescribe a set doctrine in this way. Here's what we do. As we say, we want to follow after Jesus. We're here to expand God's family. We're be because of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and point people towards that. But then as life in Christ, things come up, we understand. We can have sincere and honest conversation, and we always want to come back to God's word and help that filter through how we would discuss issues like this. So a person within Generations Church could hold two different views in terms of speaking on tongues and be welcome, participate, leave, lead, and serve. And some of you may be even a little confused by the phrase tongues or as the translation up on the screen said, languages. Because we had our discussion on sex and marriage a few weeks ago, so I'm not talking about kissing. I'm talking about communicating. Bad joke, I know. <laughs> we are discussing communication with God and others. But the Corinthians, due to their pride and propensity for division, are ranking gifts and, putting them, and pitting them against each other, like a March Madness bracket. They are identifying gifts. They are seeing things, and they're saying, this one's better than this one, this one's better than this one. And then, if, in terms of who is valued, who is affirmed, who, who is included... They think some are better than other. And what Paul does is he calls this pitting gifts against each other madness. Their gatherings are madness. They're chaotic. 
They're disorganized. They're talking over each other. They're actually excluding each other by how they are acting. When they are supposed to be an alternative of pointing people towards Jesus, what they are doing is actually barring people from exploring and encountering God by their hierarchy of gifts. And so continuing the discussion that began in chapter 12, Paul moves practical for how the Corinthians should see tongues and prophesying within the life of the church. And let me stress here as we begin once again that this is a gift of the Spirit. This this tongues, this prophesying, it's not something you earn or is something required to be a Christian. The working principle within this section is edification over gratification. So when it comes to both speaking in tongues and prophecy, what we are looking at is what actually builds up another person, what contributes to the growth of the church versus what personally is satisfying to yourself. And as we think about this, what we have to constantly weigh in our minds is as we journey together with Jesus, as the Spirit works in our lives and expresses good gifts, as He gives us those good gifts, the ability to do different things, the ability to say different things, is what types of things do we do that we do because it makes us feel good versus what types of things has God given us so that we can strengthen and encourage and build the life of Christ in another so that they become more like Christ in every area of life. And the challenge is that we import our Christian traditions into these two words, tongues and prophecy. Rather than always allow the text to speak for itself, we have different traditions that have influenced us. Maybe we've seen movies or TV shows, or we've attended a church that we go, this is a little chaotic. This is a little out of control. And we wonder, is that accurate? Does the scripture form and shape what we do Or is it our personal preferences that decide and form and shape what we do? The most common debate is if tongues is another actual language or some sort of angelic language or something of the like. I'll be overly simple, but I have found that this debate, whether it's a language, an actual language, or some heavenly or angelic language, to be a byproduct of the belief that the Spirit gives gifts, and whether the question of all the gifts that the Spirit has given in the first century church are still active. And whether or not you personally believe the gifts are active, such as tongues, healing, and the like, the Holy Spirit is to be active in your life. Regardless of your viewpoint on gifts, the Holy Spirit is to be active in your life. And if you're concerned about this, my encouragement is one of my favorite passages of Scripture is John 14, where Jesus describes the coming of the Holy Spirit to the disciples before he has ascended back to the Father and the Holy Spirit descends on the day of Pentecost. And he says, they are, and these disciples, they're less than thrilled that Jesus is leaving them. But Jesus' point is clear. The Holy Spirit will be for them and future believers us what he has been to the 12 meaning the most in the most simplistic sense we could pull up a chair for the holy spirit and treat the spirit as someone who's sitting in the room with us and address the spirit as such 
rather than some abstract, distant force that is impersonal. We're not Jedi and Sith. There is not just some general impersonal thing. The Holy Spirit is a person who sits with us and dwells within those who have found themselves in the family of God, who've been baptized into him. And Paul's point is that we should be eager or zealous to see the life of the Spirit, to see the Spirit come into our life and manifest itself within our life. And so as the debate rages, let's take a moment to see what Paul would have been shaped by. See, in Acts, the Spirit enabled Jesus' disciples to speak in other tongues in such a way that the audience, made up of people from various language groups throughout the Greco-Roman world, heard them speak in their own language. The good news of Jesus. Here it is clear that a miraculous speaking and hearing is indicated in which intelligible meaning is articulated and perceived. And Peter's interpretation of this phenomenon also shows that it is to be taken as intelligible proclamation of the wonders of God. And he cites the prophecy of Joel 2, 28 through 32. And I know I'm throwing some scripture out here at the moment, but my hope is that in referencing this, that you will consider going back and reading that. John 14, Acts 2, and even Joel, which the outpouring of the Spirit leads to prophetic proclamation. See, God's Spirit has been active even throughout the Old Testament. It was active in the life of Jesus, and the Spirit is still active today. And in Corinth, on the other hand, the phenomenon of tongues with which Paul is concerned is identified as unintelligible utterance. No one can understand what they're saying. It's wor- words that the Holy Spirit is using through people. And it needs to be interpreted if it is to be of benefit to the church. And Paul contrasts this unintelligible utterance with intelligent words in chapter 14, verses 9 and 19. And all sorts of languages, none of them without meaning. See, What he's talking about is this prayer-type language that doesn't really involve the mind, but it involves something coming out of the heart and longing and communicating with God. And when you do this, and I I think of the passage um, in Romans where it's like my heart longs to God, to, to speak to God, and even if we don't have quite the right words to say, God still hears us in a clear way. But sometimes when we pray out loud, when we speak out loud, others are like, okay, what in the world did you just say? You, know, you couldn't quite put a coherent sentence together. But saying in those moments, the longings, the urging, the things that are uttered, whether other languages or some heavenly angelic language, others won't know what is being said. And an interpretation must be given. Because the benefit is for the church. Now this is interpretation over translation. We do this with animals. When you see your dog or your cat running around, you're like, oh, they're being like this. This is the type of thing. You're not really interpreting their movements because you're not quoting line for line what they said. And so what is happening here in the moment when Paul says to give an interpretation, he's like, you need to give a sense of what is happening. So if someone prays in such a way that you're not sure what's happening, you can get a sense and communicate to another, to communicate to others in the room, to say, hey, they are crying out to God because maybe they are in pain, or is a deep source of joy. 
Paul says, For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. So tongues is the language of the heart addressed to God. But he compares and contrasts tongues with prophecy. Prophecy is God's word addressed to people for their encouragement, comfort, and realignment with God as seen in chapter 14, verse 3. Tongues is primarily a private matter. They edify the self. They strengthen the self. They know that you are seeking to communicate with God. While their prophecy is a public matter, it edifies, it builds up the church. It constructs something, as Paul writes in chapter 14, verse 4. And it's prophecy over tongues because the church was, get, was growing and had baby Christians. And to just talk spiritual-like, to just be pseudo-spiritual, to just kind of interact in certain ways where others could not follow Jesus well was doing a disservice to a, to a church that was growing and had all kinds of baby Christians. And so Paul wants them to say, listen, prophecy is better because what you're doing is you're saying that there are some things out of alignment in their life and come into realignment with the way of God. But Paul affirms the importance of both personal and the public dimensions of these contrasting gifts when he expresses that he wishes they all had the gift of tongues. And then he immediately qualifies that wish with a greater wish, that they prophesy that you have the ability to be so in tune with God and the Spirit that you know His Word so well that when you encounter other people, when we gather here together and you listen to someone and you listen to hear and understand that then so that when you respond, you're not giving your own opinions or perspectives, but you're speaking the Word of God back to that person so that they can then live the way of Jesus, be shaped by the way of Jesus in how they're perceiving that situation. And the Paul affirms the value of speaking in tongues. He even says it allows for it within the public gathering as long as it's interpreted because it should be intelligible speech to help people grow. So whatever language is being said or shared should be translated. And since tongues is recognized as a gift of the Spirit and its disposal by the Spirit, from the Spirit, Paul says, can say. He's like, I wish you all had it. And it would be evidence that the Spirit was at work in them. But yet his operable principle, his operative principle, is that it be done for the good of others. And it leads him unqualified towards the preference for prophetic proclamation, as in chapter 14, verse 9. Let me read that. It says, in the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will you know what is spoken and known? For you will speaking into the air. He wants to make sure whatever is said in the gathering of the believers can be accessible and intelligible. And so he says, because all don't, all don't have that ability, then prophecy is better. See, the whole contrast is, is who's more spiritual? We all have these measures. We all have a scorecard of sorts that we have to kind of rip out of our own soul for what we think spirituality is, for what we think 
um, what it means to truly be spiritual. And we need to get that out of our heart and be realigned and not play by our scorecard, not by using our metrics, but use the metrics that are consistent with the way of Jesus. That's where 1 Corinthians 13 comes in. Because the, the thing that's absolute, the, the metric, the measurement is love. It's not if you can speak in tongues or do miracles or have gifts of knowledge or can play a guitar or can sing or can preach. It's, it's can you love? And this most spiritual person is not one who seeks to ensure that they are seen as spiritual, but someone who builds others up into becoming what they are. And building someone up is more than pleasantries. It's more than telling someone what they want to hear so that they stay your friend. See, we'll all be out of alignment with God if we're merely putting people together in a room and saying nice things about each other. That we talk about being spiritual. We act spiritual. We stand up and sit down at the right times. We raise our hands at when the notes hit the, hit the loudest. And we clap when the worship leader says clap. Because we're doing all of these things. We even say the correct spiritual things. Have the correct doctrine. But what it truly means to be spiritual is none of those things. It's to actually respond to the Spirit. It's to be moved by the Spirit. To know your identity is so secure in Christ that when there's the prompting, when, when, when there is a compulsion, you can't help but respond and move. And we must know who we are in Christ so securely that we're not concerned about the perspective of others, but we're concerned with the, the rootedness in Christ that then allows us to not do certain things for the sake of being seen or say certain things to get the, those approvals, but to simply respond to the Spirit. And speaking in tongues in the community of worship, Paul is arguing He's like, if, if, you don't, if you do it, and it's not interpreted, it's like a harpist running fingers over all the strings, making musical sounds, but not playing a pleasing melody. Or like a bugler who blows the bugle without sounding the battle cry. In both cases, sounds come from the instrument, but there is no tune or melody, thus having no purpose. They do not benefit the listener. They do not provide direction so it is with tongues as well. Again, we should not miss the corporate concern here. Speech in the gathered community must be for the benefit of all, not simply a display of personal ecstasy expressed by the speaker. Edification over gratification. So often, we find ourselves saying things, even in our family time and in our conversations, we say things because we, we want a good response. Or, or we want per someone to say, man, man, you're so right. You're so spiritual. You're so mature. We want that pat, metaphorical pat on the back. But what we must do is we must hear from God and listen to the Spirit so that then when we speak, we're not simply trying to respond, but we are giving the Word of God that is intelligible and practical. It's for this reason that words like hallelujah and amen and other utterances must be defined and translated. That's, that's why oftentimes, the reason we have a host up here more times than not is because we, want, we know we've got believers and unbelievers in the room, and we want you to know what is being said and why we do it so that it's intelligent. So that when Charles says, hey, say hallelujah, you know that it means God be praised. 
Or when, you, when he says amen, we know, yup, that's true. That's what amen means. Maybe this is the first time you're ever hearing it. So when you've been prompted to say amen, you're like, why am I saying amen? That's not how you just close a prayer. No, what you're doing is you're verbally affirming that is true what has been said. And we must do that. So none of the spiritual gifts is an absolute. The only way is love. Therefore, neither the possession nor existence of any specific gift of them is a mark of spiritual superiority. Believers are to be open to the Spirit's gifts, and when they receive them, exercise them gratefully and humbly within the context of others. I will reaffirm this point. Your gift is not meant for you. It is meant for the community. What God has blessed you with, uh, the gifts He has given you, is not simply to make you feel good, but to be served and used for the betterment and formation of others. So any earnest seeking for particular gifts ought to be guided by the desire to be involved in strengthening the church so that the whole people of God may truly be divinely ordered alternative to the brokenness of human society so that when people who are outside the church look at when the gathering of generations happens, they go, there is something supernatural and spiritual there that the only thing that can bring this group of people together is the Spirit of God. It is only because of Jesus that they would gather here in this way and that their gifts would come out in this way so you can use your gift to serve you or serve the church and the challenge is is we often think when it can serve ourselves we like those nice butterflies and those warm and fuzzies when it comes out to serving the church it's a lot more messy because it involves people and relationships but that's precisely where the spirit gives us power. It's because you don't know how, how to have it all together. You don't have to have the puzzle together. You don't have to do the edges first and then kind of do the middle. The Spirit gives you the capacity and the power in the moment Amen. to maybe sometimes say a word that you're like, I didn't even know that was in my head. <laughs> or, or, or you just feel this compulsion to show up somewhere and you just do it and then there's someone there waiting or, need, or needing you and you know, to, to help or something like that. I mean, you probably, if you haven't, have some sort of experience in your life, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, where you felt some sort of compulsion or compel, and you, and you responded in faith to that, and you showed up, and you served, you encouraged, you blessed someone, and then on the other side of that, you felt good. But you didn't seek to feel good on the front end And so Paul moves towards this conclusion in verse 19. Thus, the present part of the argument has come full circle. If Paul were to come to them as they wished, speaking in tongues, proving what he was saying true, because that's what they wanted. They wanted proof. Paul proved to us that this really is the way. You know, are you really that spiritual? And he actually says, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to speak intelligible ways. Because I actually can speak in tongues. I, I can run laps around you. If that was a sport, I would, I would be the best at it. He speaks in tongues more than all of them. But in the church, so that others might be instructed, he would rather speak just five words that could be understood than countless words in another tongue. The obvious implication is that they should wish, wish to do the same. To walk a life of faith. 
is not one to have all of the answered or connect to, to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Rather, it is to be one where you are fully present with God precisely where you are, that you're in alignment with him so that when he moves in your heart, when he moves in your life, that what just overwhelmingly comes out of you is his word, his will, and his ways. And so Paul is not quite done yet because he has one more group of people in mind. He says there's unbelievers who are undoubtedly in their midst. And he says your ability to respond to the Spirit, your ability to speak in tongues and prophesy have a direct correlation on how they will perceive the will and way of God. And so this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20. He says, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law. I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of the foreigners. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While the prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church assembles together, and are all speaking in other tongues, and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say, are you out of your minds? But if all are prophesying, and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all, and called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Tongues and prophecy function as signs in two different ways, precisely in accord with the effect each will have on an unbeliever who is present when the Corinthians have come together for worship. We must recognize that what we must say must be accessible to all. But even though it may be accessible, we also need to recognize that it might not always be understood. If we are pointing people to Jesus and we help people see who he is and what he has done for them, we could say that just that simply and that crystal clearly and speak directly to their hearts and minds. But if it's not the right time or the place or the Spirit's not at work in their life, it just may go right over their head. And you go, haven't you been listening? God loves you. He's got a plan for you. You matter to him. And it doesn't matter how much we plead or how clearly we say or we can connect the dots of how God has been at work in their life. But if they're not ready to hear it, if the Spirit of God is not working in their heart in that moment, then it could just go right over their head. So our goal is not to eliminate the spiritual, to pretend to be something we're not, but to know the why behind it. I hear more from people today that they wonder, like, I want to hear more from God. Where is God? How, how can I be more in tune with the Spirit? And I, I think as I, as I look, look at this text, and it's like, how do we see more people fall face down and go, God, you are here, you are in our midst, you are at work. I think where that comes is what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand, is that they first must show up, that they must be proximate to others, that your growth comes from the prophecy of another not your own ability to feed yourself. That though you must grow and you must be strengthened, you must learn to feed yourself kind of over time. 
initially, you must be proximate to others. You have to show up and be around others because that's where the Spirit shows up is in terms of gifting and encouraging and showing people each other. And then you have to see other people. In verses 18 and 19, it says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words with my understanding in order to teach others than 10,000 words in another language. We have to see people. We have to understand their situation and trust that God gives us the right five words to say to make that difference. And we have to speak His words, speak His works, and know His words. Because we know it will both build up and the other side of this is it'll convict. Some people will hear those words and they go, I don't like that because it challenges my heart, it challenges my way of thinking, it, I might have to do something different. And if you do that, if you show up and you speak his words and, and his works and about God and you live in love, there will be things that come out of your mouth that you don't understand, but the person on the other side absolutely needed to hear. When you say things and you go, I meant this and they heard something completely different, but what they heard was precisely what they needed to hear. And it's in those moments when we embrace kind of the messy, when we embrace the moment that we aren't in control, the dude is. That's a shout out to Richard because that's what he called God earlier. And I was like, I'm going to work that in. <laughs> if we can seek God personally, but know he shows up communally, if we begin to understand that, we will put ourselves in proximity to others. We will trust that he is at work and speak his words and his works, and we can't help but see God move. The band's going to come up and lead us in some songs. We're going to go in through a time of response. See, the reason that we do this each and every week, and I'm going to talk about it more next week as well, the reason why we have this collective response time is because the Spirit's here. The Spirit is at work. And there may be moments from the Word of God that have spoken to your heart that you, I need to go share this with someone else, or actually, you need to sit quietly and contemplate. Or maybe you need to go pray over for someone with someone. Now, we want to give you the space and the opportunity to do that through song, through, through response, to maybe even give you some words to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to surrender to the Spirit in this moment rather than yes to self. Because see, here's the reality. God is still faithful. Jesus still saves. And the Spirit still empowers. Amen. And when we gather together, we create space and opportunity for that to happen. And people, when they encounter that, when they hear the words that God is still faithful, that Jesus still saves, and the Spirit still empowers, they can't help but go, God is here. He is living and active, and He gives good and wonderful gifts, not for ourselves, but for others. And we get to experience that together. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Go ahead and stand. And I just encourage you to respond and be open to what God might want to do.